Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. It's been a long time since I have gone church shopping. A long time. Yeah, for real, right? Um, you know, but I, I'll never forget, at least I hope I'll never forget, the stress of church shopping. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, church shopping is when you're either new in a community or you're in a place where you've got to find a church. And so you, I mean, where do you start? Pretty much you start by opening up the, the web browser and you start looking for different search terms and you kind of narrow it down pretty much by the top five that you find online and then, then you just start visiting them, right? And this is where the difficulty comes in because when you go to visit a church, you know, you might, you might be on a, you might get there on an off Sunday, Right? I mean, it's really unfair, honestly, for us to judge churches by one Sunday. It's kind of like us coming to your house and judging your cleanliness by one visit, which we don't tell you we're coming, we don't uh, give you any warning, we just show up and say, I'm going to judge you completely based on how your house is right now. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I don't know, maybe, maybe you keep a perfect house, but I certainly don't. Now, it is, it is clean every now and then, but, you know, I, that did, I didn't come out the right way. That's not what I meant. Having a busy household, you understand, it's messy, right? But when it, when it comes to church shopping, we, we, we go and we give it one shot. They're like, oh, that's not going to work. And we go to this one. It's like, oh, that's not going to work. And we go to this one. And before long, we realize that we can't seem to find what? The perfect church. And that seems to be what we're looking for. We're looking for the perfect church. But then something happens and we realize that we're just going to have to settle, Right? We're going to have to just kind of pick something and settle because the perfect church doesn't exist in our city, nor does it exist in any city, because the perfect church is not what you think. It's not what I think. What I came to realize as I matured in my faith is that my church shopping really should have been done differently in the first place. See, church shopping for most of us is, does this church fit me? Does this church have what I need? Does this church have what I want? Does this church look good, sound good, whatever, for me, right? And it really should be the other question. Has God sent me to this church? Is this the place where God is working and moving? And is he, is he adding me to the body because he has something great in store? See, it's a whole other way of looking at it. The truth is, the perfect church doesn't exist, but the perfect God does. And the church exists for him, not for us. And so in this passage, I've kind of named this, this message today, the perfect church. Because if we ever look and say, that was the perfect church, we would look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We would say, they're the model, they're the people that we ascribe to be like, or that we aspire to be like. We want to be like them. But I'm very quick to be reminded, and I want to remind you that they only got this right for a little bit of time, because chapter 7's coming. If you know the scripture, you know that it was just a little bit of time before some fighting came along in the church, right? There was confusion, there was miscommunication, there was chaos, 
But it didn't take away from the fact that God has called us to be a certain kind of people for a very specific purpose. As the church, we are called to be both a body and a family. A body because the body's made up of many parts, but the body is one. Now, my favorite illustration of this is the fingernail. My fingernail, for me, has one very specific purpose, and that is to scratch the itch. And everybody in my family knows that I get itches, right? And it's usually in places I can't reach, and so I'm not super flexible, so they will often find me up against a wall or a corner, or one of my wonderful children will come over and they'll start, and I'll be like, ooh, 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 and I'm just like a dog, right? I just, I get all, I get all excited, right? And, and, and that's what the fingernail's for. And I'm sure there's a technical reason for it being there. Maybe it's so it, it, can, it can take the brunt of the pain of hitting your finger with a hammer. I don't know. But, but, but the fingernail is part of the overall body, but we need it. But here's the thing. The fingernail doesn't have a mind of its own. Never before has my fingernail said, you know what? I think I want to do my own thing today. No. My fingernail always does what my body tells it to do. But see, God gave us another example to help us with this. He said, not only are you a body, but you're also a family. And this is more realistic, isn't it? You are a family. You are a group of people with individual minds, with individual bodies, with individual hearts and desires and, and, and strengths and weaknesses. And we're going to put you all together under the same roof, and we're going to cause you to go the same direction and, and have the same heart and have the same purpose and have the same influence. So the church, the people of God, those of us in this room, we are both a body and a family. And we are far from perfect, but we do have a model, if there ever was one, of what perfect would look like. And it's found in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 42, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders uh, were done among the apostles, or by the apostles. All the believers were there together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this begins by saying they devoted themselves. Now that word devoted is kind of a tricky word. See, devoted is not just intention. Devoted is intention with action. It's not just, I meant to, I want to, I should, I could, I hope to. No, it is, a, I want to and I am. So I like to explain it this way. I officially could say that I'm a CrossFitter. Don't laugh at me. I know, you're, I know inside of your heart of hearts you're, you're judging me. I know this. But you see, last week I did CrossFit one time. So I am officially a CrossFitter, right? I, I'm officially 
an exercise person. I don't even know if there's a name. I am physically fittedness, right? And actually, this is the question. How many CrossFits do you have to do to become a CrossFitter? I mean, is it enough to say I'm, I'm a CrossFitter if I am in my own head? Or is it enough to do it once? Or do you actually have to do it multiple times? Do you have to actually be consistent? Yeah, you probably have to do it more than once to actually say I'm a CrossFitter, right? So here's the thing. Oftentimes we say, yeah, I'm a faithful member of the church. But, but how, what, what, is the, what is the definition of faithful? I, and I'm not placing that on you. I'm, I'm honestly asking you to think about that. And, and, and the fact that you're here actually says something about you in the first place. But, but overall, we have a lot of people who talk about, yes, I'm a part of the church. And yet, it, 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 sometimes you ask them, and they're like, well, I go, to the, I go to the church down there. It's funny, I was new here in Gulf Breeze at the church, and I was out in the community, and I met somebody, and they told me they went to First Baptist Church. I go, really? That's great. Who's the pastor there? No, I mean, I knew I was. And they named the guy that was like two guys before me. And so I'm thinking to myself, maybe we aren't as devoted as we say we are. But see, to be devoted to something is not to say it's not to say I'm devoted. It's actually to be devoted. It's actually to do it even when sometimes it's not easy or when you don't want to. Let me explain to you what devoted means in my own family. I am a fair weather exerciser. Like, like my goal, my bar is set about here, right? Because I figure a few steps is better than no steps. In fact, literally the other day at the dinner table, I was asked, hey, have I ever considered a 5K? Yeah, I've considered it briefly. <laughs> I've considered not doing it. And I told him, I said, I'm more, I'm more into the 20. What? You can't do a 5K. You're not going to do a 20K. Oh, no, you misunderstand. A 20-inch, right? Like, boom, I'm done. But see, in my family, we have somebody... Rain, shine, sleet, snow, sleepy, not sleepy. Hannah is going to exercise. She's going to get her sweat on, right? And when I watch her, I see what it means to be devoted. I see what it means to through the pain and through the not. See, we think sometimes she just always wants to do it. No, she doesn't. She's a human. There are times her body says, sleep. But because she's driven by a purpose and by a, a, a vision of, of being the best athlete she can be, she's going to make her body submit to the training. What if we had that same devotion to the people of God? Because that's what devoted means. In the early church, they were devoted. They devoted themselves. They said, if I don't do anything else, I'm going to do these things. Because they're not just an extra thing that I do. They are who I am. They're the DNA of my, of my being. Without them, without this, I don't exist. The thing about the people of God, the church, the body is that it should be the priority of our life. 
You say, well, how can that be the priority? I'll tell you how. Because the body of Christ is the expression of God's grace in a broken and in a lost world. Jesus never called us to solo Christianity. He never called us to just go out and do our thing. No, he called us to join together with other believers and us, we do his thing. Does that make sense? And so when they devoted themselves, they said, the people of God are a priority in my life. And they devoted themselves to, within the body, to a few different things. One of them was the apostles' teaching. This means that they were concerned about what God said was truth. They were concerned that they were thinking the way God the Father was thinking. They were concerned that they had the same heart for the world that God the Father had for the world. And so they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why is this important? The apostles were, were what kind of people? They were the ones who walked with Jesus. That was the definition of an apostle. It's one who had been with Jesus. So they were taught directly by Jesus, and they saw the Father by seeing Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, you're wondering about seeing the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then later on, he says to those disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses. In other words, what I have taught you, I want you to teach the rest of the body. And then they will teach the body. And they will see Christianity is much like this virus. Your faith is directly tied, in, a, in some ways at least, to the faith of the people that you were around. Does that make sense? We lend each other faith. We encourage each other. We build each other up as the people of God. And if you are around a people of great faith, your faith is also going to increase. But if you're around people of great doubt, your doubt is going to increase. If you're around people who believe strongly in the authority of God's word, your belief in that is going to rise. Just as if you believe, if you're around people who question the authority of God's word, your questions are going to rise. You are who you hang around. And I don't know about you, but we live in a hard enough world with enough depressing stuff that I need to be around faithful, godly people as much as possible. Amen? Amen. They, they devoted themselves. Remember, that devoted means the, I'm in. I'm fully in. Whether I feel like it or not, I am here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know what Jesus said to them about who he was. See, we live in such a different time now, though, because we can get teaching on any topic, on any subject, on any passage, anytime. The danger about our culture is that there is a very hard uh, uh, task of discerning truth from lies. Because oftentimes, there is truth with just a little bit of lie in it. But what do you call truth with just a little bit of lie? Untruth, a lie. It's either all true or it's not true. Because that's the nature of truth. It's very, uh, very decisive in that nature. So 
So because of that, we have to be discerning. In our meeting today, in our staff meeting this morning, when we prayed before we came out, uh, one of the prayers was, Lord, give us the wisdom to discern. Help us to know what's true and what's not true. I want to say to you, you have the ability to hear every passage preached. You have the ability to hear every topic discussed. But I hope you are very, very, very cautious about who you listen to when it comes to who's teaching you the word of God. And by the way, just because they have a big crowd does not mean they're telling the truth. Just because they're cool doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Just because they sound good or they're funny or whatever doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Some of the greatest truths I've ever heard preached have been from old preachers, 85 years old, who don't have a dynamic delivery, but the power of God is in them and it's evident by every word that they say. I'm thinking of one particular guy who came here several years in a row, and I used to just be mesmerized at how deep he would bring up from the depths from which he would bring up the scripture and say, here it is. You know, the apostles had the evidence of the signs and wonders. They had the evidence of God's favor upon them based on what he was doing through them. It was obvious that God was speaking truth through them. But don't be confused. The enemy can counterfeit everything that we have. Everything. So just because it looks good, you still have to be discerning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now this wasn't just fried chicken and mashed potatoes, although that's pretty biblical, I gotta say, right? Their fellowship, was the word there is koinonia. It's, it's, a, it's a deep connection. It's a life-on-life togetherness. It was a sharing of life, sharing of sorrows and pains and joys and laughter and all those things. They had a fellowship that you would expect from a close-knit family. You want to know how you get a close-knit family? You spend time together. You, it, it's hard, I'm not gonna say it's impossible, but it's hard to be close-knit if you don't spend any time presently. This is why the current day issue is such a big deal. Because we have been separated by, prox, uh, by proximity or in proximity. No matter how you cut it, online church is not the same as being face-to-face. Now look, there's a time and a place. We got online church right here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down, I'm not downing that, and so I'm not, it's not sinful. But I'm just saying that it is, it, it cannot be the 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 um, uh, 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 the substitute long term for being face to face. Why? Because God built us to touch each other. He built us to hug each other. He built us to shake hands. He built us to high five or whatever. He built us to be in each other's space. Take a husband and wife who never touch each other. You got a strained relationship, right? Well, you take one who holds hands, one who hugs, right? And you go there. Scientifically, even, I'm told that there are endorphins that, that, that are released in your body when you physically touch somebody. God made us that way. And here's the beauty of the church. The Bible says they devoted themselves, Right? Who is they that did the devoting? Who is they? The believers, right? In that city? How many were there? 
Well, look at verse 41. Over 3,000. You want to talk about tough. Imagine having this church go to 3,000 overnight. Now, these aren't 3,000 like-minded, same kind of individuals. Because remember, it was Jerusalem. At the time of Pentecost, there were people from all different regions that were there. That was the miracle of Pentecost. Everybody had their own language, and everybody heard in their own language the gospel being preached. They believed based on after they heard Peter's sermon. And so now you have Istians and Bithonians and all these other Theans. And they were together, and they were like, man, we're different cultures. We're different peoples. But we're now part of the same family. So they started gathering together as unique individuals under the lordship of Christ. This is the beauty of the people of God. We, by definition, are different cultures. We're, by definition, uh, different uh, 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 financial, uh, economic uh, places in life. We're by definition different ethnicities. We're by definition different personalities. And God throws us all in the same place and says, now get along. And don't just get along, but love each other like you were born to the same mother and father. And this is why the church is different in the world. Because you can't get that anywhere else. We come together in all of our differences and we say, we are going to learn to love each other because we have something greater in common than our our, uh, physical commonalities. The commonness is that we have the same hope and that hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, he placed his spirit inside of each of us to make this all possible. The Bible says that the world will know you're my disciples by your really awesome music. The world will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And church, you know as well as I do that this is messy. It is messy and it's sometimes confusing. Oh, by the way, confusion is one of the ways the enemy seeks to divide the body of Christ. Here's what I sense going on right now. Right now, there is a war that is against the people of God. And it's not, it's not a political war, it's a spiritual war. The enemy knows that the hope of the nations is Jesus Christ. Because he's seen Jesus break chains and set people free and, and end things, right? And so, I believe the enemy senses that there is a great Power in the people of God that God is rising up and so he is now doing everything he can to mitigate that power by using the same weapons he's used for thousands of years what is it the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy he does that number one by causing fear pretty sure that's happened Right When the scripture says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that's what lions do. They walk around their own section of territory and they roar. And the roar of the lion is supposed to scare off any, any other lions who want to come in to his area. It's, it's, the, it's the fear factor. So the enemy roars, tries to cause us to have fear. But if he can't do that then he's going to divide. 
And the way he divides is very, very simple. He makes us look more at our, perf- uh, our preferences more than God's purpose. He causes us to be more concerned with our own preferences, our own comfort, our own desires, our own wants. And he causes us to lose sight of God's great purpose. Now just think about it. How many church fights have started over really biblical stuff? And how many church fights have started over preferences? Colors of carpet, pews or chairs, flashing lights, no flashing lights, temperature, sound, which music, which food, time that we're going to start. I mean, think about it, guys. The enemy is so good at this. We should see it coming a mile away, shouldn't we? We should recognize that his plan is, if, if he cannot convince us to believe a lie, he's going to divide us so that we're fighting each other rather than fighting him. Because here's what we know. When the church is unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ, nothing in all of creation can stand against her. Because God is in the midst of that. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves. They said this is the most important thing to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We believe in prayer, don't we? Absolutely we do. But we don't believe in prayer. We of course believe in prayer, but we really don't believe in prayer. I'll prove it to you. If we were to say, starting next Sunday, all we're going to do is pray. Our attendance would get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Why? Well, because we've got to do more than just pray. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what we do, but I'm simply pointing out the fact that any time we've ever had a specific time of corporate prayer, we've always had much less involvement than when we've done anything else. I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying that's the reality of the global church. Well, maybe not global, but that's the reality of at least the Western church. But see, there was this church in New York City, not, well, I say not too long ago. It was, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe a little longer. And they actually decided, you know what, we're just going to be a church of prayer. We're going to start praying. And they started seeing gang members just walk in out of, off the blue. They walk in from the streets. And they said, God just told me to come. I need to be saved. People who, people who were, were, were addicts on the street, falling under the conviction of God, giving their lives to Christ. I know how you feel, young man. <laughs> and there actually was something beautiful about that, actually. You know, the, the, the innocence of a child. Oh, man, it's great. Prostitutes. The refuse of society. They act, this church actually became a church with an awesome choir. Preaching that extended all throughout the world. But everything that God did through that people 
was because they decided to become a people of prayer. I'll say to you that the reason the first century church was as powerful as they were is because they devoted themselves to truth, to fellowship, which ultimately means they loved each other, and they relied upon prayer. They recognized that it was all about God. It always was, and it always will be. My question to you is this. Can we do the same thing? Can we be a church solely committed to seeing God show up in a marvelous way in our city? Folks, I, we need to understand that our city here, and I know that not everybody lives in Gulf Breeze. We have people who live in Navarre. We have people who live in Milton and Pace, and we have people in Pensacola. But, but our city, specifically here, and I know it's duplicated elsewhere, is a city that is wrought with brokenness. The, the addiction alone in this little piece of the country is crazy high. And it's not the teenagers that are doing it. Yeah, they are, but the problem is with the middle-aged men and women. The moms and dads is where the kids are learning it. You go in, you, you can walk within a thousand yards of this very building, and I promise you, you will find abuse, you will find drug addiction, you will find alcohol addiction, you will find suicide, and you'll find every other ailment that you could possibly think of within a thousand yards of us right now. And music isn't going to fix that, no matter how good it is. Teaching isn't going to fix that, no matter how good it is. You know what's going to fix that? A supernatural move of God because his people have cried out to him saying, oh God, unless you move, we are desperate. Why did the church have such amazing power? Because they weren't sidetracked by everything that we're sidetracked by. I don't want to get too far into this, but I want to I want to share with you that it's really a difficult comparison for us to compare the first century church to the 2020 church, right? Because in the first century, they didn't have an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. Most people in those days lived their entire life within 50 miles they lived, they were born, they lived, and they died in the same spot. They didn't have PTOs or PTAs. They didn't have uh, uh, remote controlled cars and airplanes. They didn't have uh, uh, farms that they could, they, they didn't have all the stuff that we have, so they didn't have to choose do I get together with the people of God or do I go recreate? They didn't have motor homes. They didn't have lake houses. What I'm trying to say is, it's unfair for us to be too, too hard on ourselves because of the struggle we face. Because the reality is, when you live in a place where there's nothing to do but be around people, it's easier to be around people, right? 
I'll prove it to you. Let a hurricane come, kill all of our power, shut everything down, and what's going to happen? You're going to be around people. You're going to open your freezers because they're going to stink before long and you're going to put the grill out in the front yard and you're going to start cooking food and you're going to meet the neighbors that have been your neighbors for 10 years and you never even saw them or knew their name. Why? You were forced into that because there was nothing else to take the place. For us, we have everything else to take the place of genuine believers' fellowship. So don't hear me saying that I'm, I'm, I'm not, this is not a condemning message. This is a message that addresses the reality of where we are. And I face it just as well as you face it. But the challenge is this. Is it worth devoting yourselves to the people of God to see God move in a way that we desperately need him to move and a way that we haven't seen him move in a long time? long time. Is it worth it? I'll be honest with you, I don't know what it looks like. I mean, I, I, I know what it looks like here, but in our context, I don't know what it looks like. But I want to see it. Here's the result. They were so together, they had such a, a unified heart, at least in this passage, that all the believers, verse 44, they were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and their goods. They gave to anyone that had need. They didn't let a need go unmet. They, they were in each other's lives so much that when they saw a need, they were able to meet that need. And even if it took selling something to meet the need, that's what they were willing to do. Why? Because they loved each other. Now, I'll tell you, I've seen that kind of love here. I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've been both the recipient and the, the, the giver, and it's marvelous. But I say to you, we can never love too much. We can never be too unified. We can never pray too much. In fact, I was having a conversation with one of our men this morning, I said, or he said, you know what, I, I pray, but every time I do something like this, I feel like I don't pray enough. And I go, you know, I feel the same way. No matter how much I pray, I still don't feel like I pray enough because there's, there's always more that can be done. We shouldn't look at that from a perspective of being guilty. We should look at that as an opportunity to draw closer to Christ Jesus. They sold their possessions. Some people would mistakenly say that this passage means that we should become socialists. That is not what the passage means. This has been used as a proof text for that. See, nobody should own anything. Everybody should own community stuff. That's not what this is saying. And notice as well, this is not the community. This is the people of God. This is within the family. I do things for my family that I wouldn't do for other people. Why? Because my family is my responsibility, right? It's different when you're within the family. Not that you don't help other people, but you help your family. You make sure your family's together and strong. That's what the church body is. It's a family. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I drove by just last night and I saw some of our believers in the same home breaking bread together. And it made me happy. Because I thought, you know what? They're doing what Acts chapter 2 says they did. They praised God. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. God had given them favor in their with their neighbors and their community. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I wonder what price you and I would be willing to pay to see God move 
in our midst and to see daily those who would be saved. So, we need to understand the rules of a harvest. You don't harvest all year long, do you? You only harvest after you've planted and watered. And you only water and plant after you've prepared the ground. And you only prepare the ground when you decide that you want to harvest. So there's a process. In the life of a church and in the life of a community, there is also a process of a harvest. We cannot expect to see people saved if we aren't watering and planting and preparing the soil and wanting for this to happen. Where are we in this process? I can only tell you what I think. I think that we're in the planting phase. I think that we're planting and we're watering. But as we know the scripture says, we plant and water, but it's only God who brings the harvest. I believe our task now as the people of God is to be unified, to be together, to have the same heart and the same purpose. I believe God's purpose for us now is for us to be in fellowship with each other and then to begin to pray as the thing. And as God begins to move, we of course remember that it's him who's doing the work. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you to two things this morning. Number one, I want to invite you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works. You cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn forgiveness. You cannot make, make your, your sin be outweighed by your goodness. Only Jesus can make you right with God. If you're here today and you have not ever trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible says, repent, therefore, and be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To repent means you agree with God, you turn from Him. Baptism is a public profession of an inward work that God does. In other words, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not just something you do and nobody sees it. No, it's, it's a public thing. This morning, do you need to trust Jesus? I want to invite you to do that. Will you say to God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm lost without you. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And I ask for forgiveness, and I ask to be a child of God. The Bible says to whoever will come to him, he won't cast you out. 
The second thing I want to ask this morning is if, if you have not devoted yourselves to the same things that the early believers devoted themselves to, I want to ask you to just go ahead and do that. Make it your purpose in life to be devoted to the same things that the first century church was devoted to. And let's together seek the face of God and and ask Him to do something that only He can do, something marvelous. God, we do pray that You would continue to strip away the things that are so shiny but so often leave us lacking. God, the things that take our attention, that in the last 10 10 or 12 weeks you have shown us that we don't have to have those things to have joy. We don't have to we don't have to go back to the way things were. Father, I pray that you have refocused, redirected who we are and the, the, the path that we're taking. God, I thank you that as we sang today, you are for us. Because you are glorified when your people are demonstrating your character. Lord, I pray that there would be a a holy moment right now Lord there has to be a humility in each of us in order to love each other there has to be a willingness to to listen to each other to not just speak but to to allow ourselves to be spoken to So, Father, I pray that you would tear down any pride. That you would tear down any any stronghold, any kingdom in our lives that we are keeping up. so So that you, God, can have your way inside of us. Now, if you will, for the remaining few moments, just just spend some time praying to God. Ask God the very simple question, what what do you want me to do? And as he shows you, just say, yes, Lord. I promise obedience is far better than sacrifice. Everything you're afraid of when it comes to being obedient All of that melts away when you find the joy of obedience.